Like your channel almost, it, it needs to be like a subgroup of a subgroup of a subgroup um, or mass appeal. It needs to be one or the other. Okay. This is Sam. This is Paul. And this is Southpaw. So today we have a special guest to discuss the Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder fight that just recently happened. We have David Christian from the Modern Martial Artist YouTube channel. Uh, hi, David. Hello. How are you guys? Good. How are you? So before we get into the nitty gritty, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your YouTube channel and what it is and how it started? Sure. Um, I started doing martial arts when I was six uh, at this Kempo blend school um, and then got my black belt there, started teaching. Uh, was that here in California? No, that was in Sacramento. OK. Yeah. The pl it's huge now. It's uh, it was at Kovar's. Um, it's now Satori Academy. And the, they have like 16 schools and the guy like tours the nation. Everyone's like, you started there. I'm like, yeah, there, there was two schools at that time. But it, it was actually pretty fortunate. Because there was a Kempo blend, so you got like a little bit of jujitsu. There was actual like live sparring from the time I was six. Um, I've tried teaching at some of these places now, and like no sparring, like you know, no actual anything for for the kids. Um, so I got a, uh, I got my black belt there, and I, I started teaching when I was sixteen. I got my black belt in Taekwondo, um, and then I went to college in San Francisco. I joined uh, my school. Actually, had a mixed martial arts club. Okay, which was like. So some people were really good and knew all the techniques and some people just wanted to knock other people out. And it was so irresponsible. They had to shut it down <laughs> because <laughs> I, I got there um, the first day and uh, I'd done jujitsu, like basic jujitsu. I'm in no, I'm still not very good at it, um, but I know all the basics from the time I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I never done stand up wrestling. And they're like, OK, just go like everything goes. And I'm like, OK. And the guy tackles me, and um, or I thought of it as tackling, as a double leg, but I didn't even um, really know what that meant at that point. And uh, luckily, I got him in a guillotine right away because he wasn't very good either, and <laughs> and choked him out before he could like punch me, you know, in the face, which which sucks. But uh, yeah, so that was my introduction to MMA. Was a school MMA club, um, and then I started like training at different places um, here, or there in San Francisco. I I think the most crucial thing and what allows me to do the channel is uh i learned from uh bruce lee had two students who he let teach mm -hmm. um ted wong and uh inosanto inosanto is the the more famous one and i learned from uh one of wong's uh relatives and this guy had a degree in uh like a physiology or kinesiology all that kind of stuff and so that's really what allows me to break down all the videos and everything and, and kind of like a more scientific manner and, and look at it that way from there, I came here to L.A., um, kept training in different things, uh, boxing, MMA, um, kickboxing, that kind of stuff. What so, brought you to L.A.? Because I went to film school and I was planning on being a director. That explains your YouTube channel because you're kind of combining film yeah, and editing skills yeah, with martial arts I, I ended up not needing to go to L.A. at all, <laughs> <laughs> actually. But I'm glad I came here because I met my wife 
more okay. than anything. Um, had years of like no success, and I'm just like, you know what? I like being a personal trainer and teaching gymnastics and martial arts and private lessons and working with kids and working with adults. And I was pretty happy, and I just started the YouTube channel, you know, ju- just to kind of see. How long ago was that? I started it two years ago. Wow. But I started... I only did a video like once every three months, most of which I've deleted because they were they were like the techniques were sound, but I was using like a terrible YouTube voice. Like maybe <laughs> it was I was imitating like famous YouTubers, like the first one. And I thought you had to talk a certain way and it sounded terrible. It's like, hi, guys, this is Dave from the Modern Martial Artist. It just yeah, really yeah. Oh, that's cringy. a YouTube voice. I know. That yeah, voice. like it was back then it was more prevalent, too. And it was super cringy. But enough people liked it. Um and uh, eventually the videos just kept getting more popularity and I'm like, whatever, I'll do like three a month and it exploded. So was there a certain video that kind of launched you? Yeah. And it was really sad because I made a video on um, I thought no one in the world would be interested in, in this at all. I made a video on uh, Muhammad Ali's footwork pattern that he used to circle and jab because he did. He does this little skip and hop that no one else does. And I'm, I kept looking at it. And I'm like, what actually makes this? better because it's supposed to be worse you, you're supposed to take the fewest amount of steps possible um and i'm like so what makes it so this is actually better i made a video about it like i tried it out on camera um and then it was pretty like popular i'm like whoa way more people care about this than i thought and then he died three days later oh and the video exploded <laughs> and i was like oh my god but in a way it was it was kind of like a tribute to him um without knowing it was gonna be so it's like in pro wrestling the rub where the former champion, he finally loses to you, and then you get all his glory. <laughs> well, I, I, I wouldn't put myself up there with Ali. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I feel like it was a nice tribute um, to, to him, like a send-off without knowing that it would actually be a send-off, if that makes any sense. He, like, he did so many things for so many people, um, you know, in the ring and outside of the ring. And uh, he's always been one of my heroes since my dad showed me um, a documentary on him when I was just a little kid. So I, I don't know, it just worked out that way. So outside of just training martial arts, you were also watching boxing since you were little? Not too much, actually. Like I'm much like I had certain fighters that inspired me, uh, mainly Bruce Lee and Muhammad Ali. Um, but uh, a lot of that was for philosophical reasons. Like I'm way less of a fight that fan than most of my subscribers would probably think. Oh, like I have a select full, uh, few guys I follow. I'm mainly just interested in martial arts, um, and a couple of fighters fascinate me. Like a couple of them because they're, you know, they have interesting personalities or what they stand for. Like you know Ali or or Bruce Lee or what, what have you. But um, but mainly I'm just interested in them if they have, like for me it's they have techniques that are just insanely complicated and it's like whoa that's that's brilliant. Or just simple, like beautifully simple, like economy of motion kind of stuff. So that's that's just how my brain works. And it didn't start with me being a fan or anything. I've learned a lot more about fighters since I started the channel, actually. Coming from a traditional background, how do you break down modern martial arts? Because it all has the same principles as just different applications. Mm. Certain styles work a lot better than other styles and we didn't really even know that until 15 to 20 years ago at the very very earliest um traditional martial arts get shit on a lot um but they a lot of their elements have been incorporated into the styles that are looked at as more modern and a lot of the more 
the styles that are looked at as more modern have undergone drastic changes themselves in the last 10 years. And a lot of the traditional stuff gets incorporated and then they just teach it like it was always there. Like you'll see a lot of catch wrestling. Um, I mean, there always was, but you'll see a lot of catch wrestling and jujitsu now. Um, you know, you'll see a lot of even karate techniques in boxing now in mainstream boxing. Um, so I don't, I don't think it deserves the reputation it has. It's definitely inf inferior in certain ways. Um, but mainly, I just know the basics. Once you, the way I break things down is I know the basics. And if someone's doing something that shouldn't be working, but is working, then I need to slow that down and look at why that's working. Um, and knowing a bunch of basics from a bunch of different styles is what really does it. Like um, this, this one I was really proud of. Uh, I made a video on Lomachenko. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't very, not, not the big one. It, this one wasn't very big. This was like a short one. I think it has like 50,000 views or something, but I made it just on one element that I didn't even notice the first time, which is setups different every time, honestly, but he'll normally do it from like a jab or a leverage guard, which is just, um, for people who don't know, that's an old term for meaning just straighten your arm to get the inside position with, while the other person's jabbing. So it doesn't hit you. And then he'll circle it around like fencing. And then come down with a hook, kind of like a hook or a corkscrew punch. Yeah, it was one of yeah. those things that Edward Hazlett brought up very early on in one of his manuals, The Bible of Boxing. Yes. Where he talks about that one. Yeah. yeah you kind of hook it right under the guy's armpit. Yeah. And in order to establish that leverage guard, like you talked exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah. So he'll do like a variation of that. Um, and then he'll circle it around and, and knock down their punch but also come down pretty hard on them at the same time. He, do, he does stuff I learned as a little kid that was like Kempo stuff, like four swords, like the double parry. He'll like parry a jab and then do another parry and catch it and then come down and stuff that, that should by no means work, but he makes it work. So I look for things that shouldn't work, but work for some reason. That's how I, that's how I break down the stuff that, that people don't understand. And I was... Really proud of that one because he put out a video a month later where he demonstrated that same technique uh. to a group of people <laughs> and it was going viral. And I'm like, okay. And it was, it was very validating. Do you think either your interest in film or your film background also helps you like have an eye for seeing stuff and be like, what was that? There's something interesting about that. Kind of, but, but mostly once again, it was my dad. He used to, um, he used to like break, he used to do the same thing when I was a little kid. Like, it, he's like, Muhammad Ali is so fast. Watch this. And then he'd like freeze frame on the tape. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then show me. Um, and then, like and then show me what he did. Yeah. He, yeah. He was, to he was totally into it. He, he never, he boxed. Um, when, when he was in the army, he, was, he boxed in the, in the army against other guys. But um, he never, you know, uh, trained martial arts or anything like that. Um, but uh, but he, he was just. He had a fascination. I, I'm talking about him like he's dead, but he's still alive. <laughs> but but he had um he had a fascination with like a bunch of different stuff, and he'd get super geeky like that. It wasn't just fighting; it was like fantasy books or or what have you. He just whatever he was into, he was very 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 into it. I know you said you have a background in kempo karate, but mm -hmm. is it something that you started off with, but then you? Did different types of karate like Shotokan or Kyokushin? Yeah, yeah. I just don't have any black belts in them. Um, so so it was a Kempo blend, but I've like I've only gotten a black belt in Kempo and Taekwondo because I I think they're kind of unnecessary unless they're like really really highly regarded. Um, like you need to be really good. Like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, obviously you need 
like if you have a black belt it's like whoa holy shit you could kick most people's asses easily um and and you have a chance against some of the best fighters but most arts are arts aren't like that certain arts you only gain credibility through fighting and uh after having a number of street fights as like a very angry young man <laughs> I, de I decided i didn't want to do it professionally um I, because it's like you feel crappy the day afterwards like even if you win thoroughly you feel shitty the day afterwards um you mean just physically or physically also... like you're drained like oh, it's okay. like a hang it's like the worst hangover of your life if you get into like normal street fights go 10 seconds um i had one that that went a minute um and uh, because the guy and the guy was like huge um and uh we ended up getting separated and uh, he wasn't doing very well but i just couldn't knock him out no matter how much i hit him uh and then at, like the day afterwards i got hit once with him sucker punching me but i felt like i'd been run over by a train uh, just because of that adrenaline yeah it's like it's and i'm like i didn't want that and uh i got a scar once um and i'm like i don't want any scars and i did well enough that i felt i'd proven myself now i definitely would have if i could if i'd known this would be my profession i would have gone back and and fought for sure, um, just to gain that little bit more of credibility. But I don't think I need it. No. It's like, you could see, I know what I'm talking about because it's on tape. Was it also the Bruce Lee protege who kind of opened your mind to more of this scientific Absolutely. approach? Yeah. Because I know Bruce Lee was always watching tape. Super, and like, what's this guy doing? Yeah, super scientific. Um, the, like the guy would talk about how the mechanics of the human body worked and exactly how to gain the most amount of power with the most economic, uh, economic amount of movement. And that really appealed to me. Um, and, uh, I would like, you'd be amazed. Like some guys, like really tiny guys with like huge power, like, Whoa, like, like, holy shit. That's, that's insane. And, uh, but with such a minimal amount of movement that, that appealed to me hugely. Bruce Lee was like that. He was like a biomechanist. He, yeah because yeah. his books weren't just about martial arts and philosophy like huge sections were just about what you would see in like uh physical therapy or a personal training book it was a lot of like biomechanics he would like draw Exa muscles yeah and here's the lever and here's how it creates power yes and he was he was exactly right about all of it um before i uh wrote i wrote my first book on power and it was made it was mainly based off of putting a uh, biomechanics in sports book. I think the book's actually called Biomechanics in Sports, the one I most relied on. And they had a lot of um, scientific principles towards a lot of stuff, but they didn't have one example on martial arts, uh, for martial arts at all. And so I, I, I took those biomechanical principles, a number of them I already kind of learned from that guy and, and other things that kind of parallel throughout every martial arts. It's, this, it's basically the same way of getting power, but just done differently, you know? Um, and I, I put that into the books and Bruce Lee was huge on that. And, uh, I don't know, JKD is another one that gets shit on fairly regularly because people don't understand it. And, um, there's like a huge divide I've noticed just in the YouTube community. I don't know in real life. Um, that's surprising. Cause it seems like just because of Bruce Lee's clout, I thought everybody would like JKD. They don't know about Bruce Lee. It was too long ago now, now, because if you read what Bruce Lee says now, it's just normal shit everyone knows because that's how far ahead of the time he was <laughs> you know so i think he really did create the perfect system for being at long range uh and i don't think he 
had time to develop anything else and it was mostly a self-defense system where that's where you're going to start in the in the first place anyways like john jones uses everything bruce lee advocated down to well just everything um at that particular range from the eye pokes even <laughs> oh god are but, you saying that might be intentional of course <laughs> he admitted it of course you're being sarcastic well, if you're not getting you know you're not getting uh disincentivized not to do it because- of course yeah yeah that's a whole topic for another time about the yeah. ufc allowing that when travis brown did it, he said oh he's using my favorite technique is that oh so you admitted it so you know what you're doing <laughs> well i think because uh coach winkle john he's old school karate but he's old school karate when they were all blending the Bruce Lee, JKD kind of concept. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because that lead leg sidekick, I was talking for years about when is someone finally going to use the lead leg sidekick to the knee? When is someone finally going to use that? You know, um, like I was saying for years, it should be banned and I still think it should be banned or now I don't think it should be banned. I think it should be regulated. Like, I don't think it should be allowed to the kneecap mm. because you get champions out for like a year or two. That's, that's bad. You it's know? interesting because in high school, when I read the, Tower of JKD, mm-hmm. he would have all these examples of when you cut the corner and you see somebody, you should kick him with the lead leg sidekick. Yeah, with the lead leg sidekick. Yeah. And then that was his answer to everything. He's like, Jesus, <laughs> need to stop a bank robber? That's what you go with. And yeah. I thought, like, well, if this is so good, why don't more people do it? Yeah. Maybe he was wrong on this. Cut to 2010, 2011. I was like, ah, oh, fuck. Well, he was right all along. Yeah. Even if you yeah. watch his old gloves that he has. It mm-hmm. looks like Kempo gloves that yeah. he used. And then next thing you know, within modern MMA, it's like, oh, he was so ahead of his time. This was in yeah. the 70s when he had this glove develop. Yeah, because he wanted to be able to grab on and pin and, and parry and all that st- and grapple a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, way, way ahead of his time. He had, like what Joe Rogan called the oblique kick, that too. Like everything Jones does from long range. Um, and uh, I think people are just going to start using it more and more um because because it works but yeah, i think it's going to be a staple yes and i think it's going to be banned though eventually well what i do know about jackson wink and what makes them so good is because of coach jackson who's all about game theory he reads a lot of books about strategy and this mm-hmm. type of winning strategy called game theory is a probabilistic type of math to win in every game mm. so one of the things you do is you look at all the rules of whatever sport it is and then like a lawyer, you see everything you could get away with. Oh. So I think the reason why a lot of people didn't use the, what they call in Savat, the chasse or the mm-hmm. lead kick was because people weren't sure if it was legal or not. Oh, and I think okay. he read the rules up and down. He's like, you can do this. You can get away with this. And then they did it. And then I remember like at the beginning, the, the refs were like, is this legal? <laughs> they didn't know. <laughs> and and that's the lot of the things that uh, Jackson Wink innovated. They started mm. doing things that people weren't sure if it was legal or not. That makes a lot. I didn't know that. That makes a lot more sense. I assumed it was just because the move didn't exist in the specific discipline that they knew. Like everyone was just using Muay Thai. So I assume because Muay Thai doesn't do that so often, uh, like it's there. It's usually more of like a front stomp, you know, almost like a front kick or front push kick. Uh, that they they just you know didn't think it it was necessary or a good idea. Look at John Jones, Rampage Jackson. The first time John Jones does it, I think Rampage looks to the ref. It's like because he assumed <laughs> it was illegal. So yeah. a lot of the early fighters who even got hit by it complained because they thought that was illegal. That's Nobody really explicitly told them it was illegal, but you just assumed because it looked so dirty. 
You see, I I somehow always knew it was legal legal or assumed it was. Maybe I looked it up and don't remember, but I I assumed it was, and I'm like, why is no one using this? Well, because the kick to the balls became illegalized because yeah. before everything was legal, right? And, yeah, for the first. Couple. And then they're like, okay, kick to the balls. I assume kick to the kneecaps too, right? Yeah, you would think. Yeah, <laughs> it's just one of those things where it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. So just do it a couple oh, times and just yeah. say like, oh, I'm not allowed to do that. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's like with the yeah. eye pokes, like, oops, oops sorry, I won't do it again. To. Yeah. In this fight, and then the next fight, like, oh, did I do it again? I'm so sorry. It's I'm like sure they're paying or... attention to how many times they could get away with it, too. Yeah. Like, you know they are. That's the strategy. Keep doing it until you can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. But it's like punching an opponent after you knock them out and then waiting for the ref to pull you away. You don't decide <laughs> you don't do this. Let them yeah. tell you you can't do this. Yeah, you get that extra little hidden when they're on one knee, you know? One of the things that I also find your channel different from other breakdown channels is in my mind you really do your most unique work with the footwork stuff because mm. a lot of people break down arm bars to knockouts especially they break that down but you especially are really good about footwork where That's does that come from out of necessity because i've always you know one thing about traditional martial arts um as much as it's shit on and in certain instances deserves to be shit on but not others uh they put you against bigger guys, regardless of your size, which is so useful in everyday life because it's, it's like people walk around with an unrealistic view of how vulnerable they are, you know? And so footwork for me was a necessity. Like I've got a guy who's 6'3 and I'm 5'7 and we're, go we're sparring going like as hard as we can. And there's, uh, you know, there's no um, kicks to the leg. But there's still kicks to the head, punches to the head, and uh, and his foot. It's so much easier for his foot to get my head than vice versa. <laughs> so footwork was a necessity for me. It it wouldn't have been as much a necessity for me if uh, if leg kicks were involved, obviously. Oh, okay. But um, because it was just body and head, I needed to really find out ways to get angles. And I started watching a bunch of other fighters, and and like honestly. If you're training and 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 uh, listening to the pot this podcast, guys, just ask your coaches. They're so ask your instructors, whoever's training you. Ask other ask professional fighters, or if they're in your gym, if you're lucky enough to have them in your gym, they're more than happy to tell you everything you need to know about the basics. Um, and not like people think this stuff is so hidden. It's not. It's not hidden at all. Um, like everyone knows a certain part of it. And and once you know the basics, then it's really easy to just look at like Willie Pep and go like, well, I see the components of that. That's fucking weird, but I see the components of it and what he's and what he's doing. So I could break it, break it down, or I could use it myself or what have you. Yeah. So who are your favorite fighters in any combat sport as far as footwork that you like to watch? Yeah, obviously Pep Ali, uh, Roy Jones Jr. is insanely good. Um, at footwork, Joe Lewis, if you're going with subtle footwork, has some of the best footwork that there's ever been. When we get to Tyson Fury, we'll go a little bit into yeah, ask about that. into his footwork. It's uh, it's really phenomenal. Um, what about in MMA? Like mm -hmm. people always talk about Dominic Cruz and TJ Dillashaw. Yeah, yeah, they're Dillashaw is definitely my favorite right now. Um, you have to take into account to why footwork works for certain styles and, and why it doesn't for other styles like conor mcgregor's able to 
have beautiful in and out footwork because he takes away your ability to circle because he'll it's just the way he throws his strikes um like the because he stands at in such a narrow like bladed sideways stance his rear leg like there's two ways to cut someone off right you could have a square stance and then if they move then you're able to follow them laterally okay right so if you if you're squared up you can move left or right easily but you're pretty vulnerable mcgregor stands sideways and uh so if someone moves like behind him he could just spin and he, that's why he does those spin back kicks and spin hook kicks and he takes away your ability to move that way when he corners you against the cage and then he has those amazing round uh roundhouse kicks to the body and he takes away your and uh and obviously his left hand um and he takes away your ability to move inside too so then you can't really move laterally and that's how he's able to have that really good karate bouncing in and out footwork like that so so it's all it all comes down to context if you're talking about complex footwork that's that's just um brilliant i'd say uh wonder boy thompson definitely yeah insanely good footwork um he has lateral movement um, and in and out movement, uh, lin- you know, linear, lateral, like everything, all the different directions. Switching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's all with traditional karate footwork that's just blended together really nicely. Like he doesn't step, drag, step, drag. He does sometimes, but it's, more, it's mostly just a karate hop. You know, it's, it's, it's point sparring, karate bouncing back and forth. You don't step, slide, step, slide like uh, traditional boxing. It's, it's just both feet kind of glide. A little bit so that's really fascinating to see too i think it's also interesting that when you pair the footwork with the hand motion i know oyama was big on that pinwheel motion where he keeps his hands constantly moving up and down kind of like a which oyama masoyama oh masoyama so taking it back to the karate roots and you didn't really see it until at least i didn't really see it until machita started doing it yeah. And notice Fedor does it as well. Mm. And they take that element from traditional karate because it keeps you guessing and they're able to move their footwork the way that you don't normally see. And yeah. I saw it with the Stephen Thompson Masvidal fight where Masvidal mm. was so focused on where the hands are going to go. Yeah. He didn't notice all those kicks and range. And he was like, what's going on? He that gets was a great and gets- fight. Yeah. yeah. That's one where you make like a professional fighter just look like they're a novice who walked onto the mat. And you're like, you know, so... Some people are just so above in certain elements that it's absolutely insane, you know. And Masvidal's good. He beat yeah. KJ Noons. And KJ Noons has that kickboxing and boxing background. And against Stephen Thompson, he looked flustered. Like, he had no idea what he was going to get hit with next. I, like, that's, that's because also MMA is just still evolving. That's what makes it so exciting. I don't know how much further we have left to go. Like, what? I don't know if, if one thing's going to dominate either. What, what it seems like what happens is that something new gets brought in, right? Like there's a high element, there's a, there's a fighter who has a really high element that's never been seen before, like Mishida, you know? And then, uh, another, you know, everyone's like, oh, this is going to be it forever. We found the pinnacle. Like right now, it's probably like, you know, uh, people thinking that it's, uh, it's the kind of wrestling like that uh, Khabib, however you'd like to pronounce his name, um, and uh and you know dc are doing like that kind of thing uh but then something you know once you learn a defense for that then it's it's going to kind of even out again and then it might be something else so i don't know how many like this has been going on for 20 years so you think we would have figured everything out by now but (laughs) to circle it back to other topics we talk about here there's this idea in history called the end of history 
which is constantly proven false. And I think MMA is a great example mm. because human nature always think we'll get to a point where we're done. Oh, yeah. in the 80s, they thought, oh, we're done. We figured this out. And there's always more turmoil and more things that haven't been figured out. Yeah. And MMA is the best example where here's an emerging thing where people are constantly, everybody's actually trying to figure it out. It's not like government where certain people are trying to figure it out. Everybody involved is trying to get to the end of MMA where you find that classic style. So far, we haven't had it. And I don't think we'll ever have it because even if we get so far, then we're just going to recycle and go back to old stuff again. Do you think there's too many variables is the reason? Yeah, it's the open market of ideas. So Mm -hmm. because even though people say, hey, you know, it's not like street fighting where there's no rules, but it's a lot less rules than almost every other combat sport. And that allows for a lot more innovation. And in fact, if you made it no rules, then actually too much options overwhelms people and then it gets very simple again. So it's kind of like you where you said you had to innovate because you had limitations where you couldn't kick him in the leg. Yeah. You need a little bit of rules to kind of create more innovation. You yeah. need a little bit of limitations so you have to actually be creative. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think right now MMA has that, but then later on, who knows, they could get bogged down with so many rules that then it can become uniform. Each rule change does something different too. Like when I, like 10 years ago, when I started training leg kicks for the first time ever, I went from, in my eyes, you know, like a pretty decent uh, fighter to just absolutely, you know, just couldn't do anything for like a couple of weeks till I got used to it. Eventually I was able to put it back in the stuff I'd learned, you know, but you change one element and it's just all crazy. That's why I get kind of annoyed when people use MMA. MMA is the best thing we have for sure in regards to street fighting. But just the fact that you'd be fighting on concrete just changes everything right there. All of a sudden, judo is looking like a lot more powerful than it used to, you know? You were saying um, you came from a traditional martial arts, but not really because you, you came from Kovar systems, you said? Yeah, it was a, it was a blend. So, like, they didn't yeah, go deep right. into Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but they taught us how to, like, you know, all the basics and how to get out of all the chokes and all the holds. And so that makes me think of, like, Tiger Schulman in New York was kind of like, Kovar systems where they were blending and then they were trying to take karate into MMA and they started fighting in the New York scene or that area and they were I think pretty bad at the beginning yeah. but now they're actually becoming one of the powerhouse teams where oh okay like Jimmy Rivera's from there they have like four or five UFC guys Uri Hall started out in that system too oh really yeah yeah, yeah. so they were kind of that background is karate they still train with karate pants and wear the belt yeah but they started blending it around the same time those other like Kempo schools did, but they didn't stop at just a little bit. They just kept adding more and more, mm. but they stayed to their discipline roots. And also I think a lot of their footwork and tactics, especially Jimmy Rivera, the way they counter-strike, they're, all the Tiger Schumann guys are really known as like good counter-strikes. So mm. kind of like that karate point style with boxing punches where you're waiting for them to come in and you just, boom. Yeah. Again, what intercept. it comes down to, I think, is that if you know the defense for the the really applicable good moves, techniques, styles, whatever, if you have the defense, then you could make way different kinds of offense work, right? Wonderboy Thompson wouldn't have gotten anywhere if he couldn't stifle takedowns well, you know? Like, uh, obviously, that's hard against certain fighters like Woodley, but, um, you know, if he didn't have takedown defense, he would never would have gotten anywhere. But because he knows how to defend against certain styles, then he could... Um, then he could use his own. 
But I'm not so sure that's going to keep working anymore either. The Wonder Boy style? Like using one style and just being able to defend against the rest. I think that's the next step. I think the next step is you need to kind of be able to use everything offensively. And you need to be able to blend it together. Like uh, Stipe versus DC was a good example of that. Okay. Because DC blends his you know, his strikes and his grappling together. Seamlessly. He'll, seamlessly. He'll yeah. turn a hook punch into a collar tie. Yeah. You know, that was the difference in that fight. That's what made the difference. There was no separation of wrestling and boxing. He was using one to implement the other. That's a funny point because we did a breakdown show where Habib and Connor, that fight, and I was saying, going into it, I thought Habib was going to win. And I was actually pretty sure that Habib was going to do well even in the striking just mm-hmm. because how well, not because Habib's a good boxer, but how well he blends his footwork and yeah. his striking into his wrestling, his punches into his wrestling. You can't tell if he's in his wrestling phase of his fighting or his boxing phase because it looks all the same because him and DC don't have phases. Yeah. They created a stance and a style where they could do wrestling and boxing from the same stance and from the same positions. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's cool. You you realized that. Um. And they yeah. You called it because no one else was thinking that. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> People will say in retrospect, but you have it on tape. Um. You know, no one was calling that. Uh. I don't know if it was technically a knockdown because I think he like caught himself. I I don't know, but you know, it was it was for all intents and purposes, it was a knockdown. Yeah. From from Khabib or Habib. I don't listen. He was trying to hit you. To knock you down, and he accomplished it. Exactly. Anyone says it's a fluke. It's like, how is that a fluke? He meant to do that. Yeah. One thing, if he pushed you to move you to the side, and you fell, it's like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. It's like, no, I threw a punch with the intention of hitting you of and knocking you out. Like yeah. when Randleman knocked out Krokod, right? Yeah. That's a lucky shot. It was like, he threw that to knock him out, like, and it yeah. worked. So, no, not he really, aimed and he hit. Yeah, that's that's all there is to it. Like no one's been able to do that so far. Um, has anyone caught Connor that bad? Nate caught him and stunned yeah, he him. Knocked him out. He knocked he almost knocked him out, but that was it. But that was a very tired Connor who has already been accumulating yeah. Nate's punches. Well, it was the same it was the same with Khabib though. He cuz I think that was round 2. He got the knockdown. He so he'd already been Correct. Oh, on the yeah, ground. He'd, yeah, yeah, he'd already been on the ground. But still, that's only he he wrestled with um with uh, Holloway for a while and then still didn't get hit that that bad. I don't think he could read what was coming. He was like, is he coming in for a shot? Yeah, or is he going to punch? What, he didn't that's know. That's what it was. Yeah. He was hyper, hyper reactive. And, uh, and, and so his reflexes, it was like too many choices at the same time. So he bit on the wrong feint or, or he saw a feint when there was no feint. Yeah. That, you know, I'm sure someone will come up with a defense that works fairly well for both of them at the same time. Yeah. But until that happens, then, you know, one, the fighter who can do both those things is going to dominate. That's why I feel like um, Stylebender came in at a, at a very poor time for him to come in. I think, he, I think he came in on time, but I'm not sure how long he's going to be able to last. Really? Yeah, I think at this point you need to start learning both at the same time. I was telling him I thought he was overhyped, and I, I was asking him to convince me <laughs> that this is the guy. He's an insanely good striker. Yeah. I just don't think he's going to be able to blend the striking and the grappling together i know i can't because that's just not how i how i started i started learning them separately and uh i you know i i'm far more interested in striking 
But you don't think he can do what Wonder Boy did, where he just adjusts his style to avoid the ground altogether? But Wonder Boy hit a limit uh, yeah, against Woodley, <laughs> you know? Um, and Woodley is able to do both. But he's going to be up against fighters who can't just do both. They're doing both at the same time and using one to supplement the other. That's where it becomes like almost exponential. It's just, you know, if it like if your missed hook turns into a collar tie, which turns into an uppercut cut like DC, then that's so much more devastating than throwing a hook and missing and then needing to go into and then trying to um, to clinch after that. You know, it's just little shortcuts like that that are going to start accumulating, I think. So you think that's the future of, or you're already seeing that transition happening where, you know, we saw a lot of transitions in MMA, right? We saw style versus style, and then you saw the wrestler, boxer, or kickboxer slash BJJ. Yeah. And they would just switch phases. And then there was like this range fighting where like, in here you do Muay Thai, here you do like this kind of kick, here you do boxing, and then when it goes to the ground. You could almost almost see them switch modes like in a video game. Yeah. You could almost see it. There was like a little, you know, where they're like, oh, we're grappling now. And you don't see that with everyone nowadays. So now you're saying the next phase with certain guys is they're not switching. They're in full MMA mode all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, And, you know, like uh, you, John Jones, one of the first guys to to do this, um, you know, just with his jab, using it for guard manipulations and all that kind of basically stuff Bruce Lee was talking about once again. But now now you're seeing it like, you know, just really seamlessly blended in new ways that um, that's getting pretty crazy. Mighty Mouse, too. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I can't remember what he transitioned transitioned from, but he did. Um, there's, there's this YouTube channel. Uh, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right, but this guy, uh, Lee Wiley, did boxing yeah. breakdowns back in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if he came up with this phrase or not, but basically... Um, I use the phrase too because I think it's a great, good enough name for it. Um, so there's this thing called a Damato shift, named after Customato. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It's it's basically where you go so far past your opponent that you're now both you've gone from orthodox and now you're both in southpaw. Oh, okay. So you just cross through the center line and then you're both say and then Tyson would use it to take you know his opponents or <clears throat> victims uh, unaware and. Uh, I, I can't remember what he did to set it up, but Mighty Mouse did that, right? And then pulled off an arm drag. And I was like, what the hell? And it was off some kind of strike. So he's just blending grappling and uh, and striking together like that in the same way all the time, too. I know in the boxing range, I think the same video, he also did it to show Triple G using that deep shift, the Amato shift. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's like different stances and, and it's becoming more and more common nowadays, too. Is that different from like Marvin Hagler, where he would just in punches or in stances like he wouldn't do a switch stance, you know, like TJ Dillashaw mm. as he was punching, he would just end up in the other stances is it like that or is it completely different. I, I when I wrote my footwork book, I tried to categorize everything and I categorized that as something different because what he did is it's a alternative way of cutting off the ring for him well he was more opportunistic right he it was, was based opportunistic on, he yeah, corner right. someone they were up against the ropes and they started moving away laterally or they were just trying to jab him on the inside normally um like every beginning boxer who's taken a legitimate boxing class knows uh knows this one is you throw a jab right or your opponent throws a jab you catch it with your hand or what have you and then you throw a jab back and pivot so you step 
inside a little bit and then you pivot because you don't want to be squared up. That makes you more open. If you let them get inside, they'll just keep staying sideways and safe and then punching you in the face or the stomach or, or whatever the hell. Um, uh, just, just like Sugar Ray Robinson used to do, like, you know, masterfully like head stomach and then Ali copied him later. But certain fighters just stayed squared up and then used it as like a surprise. And Hagler was one of those to uh-huh. where he just let them, he'd let them pass his center line. Uh-huh. And then they were in the same stance, right? They didn't change stance. He changed stance because they were just moving past his center line. He stayed open and then he'd just step in and hit him with his new lead hand. But the, the Diamato shift you're saying is, you're initiating that. Yeah, you step you step across. You're both changing stances at that point. Okay, that's that's pretty advanced. Like it's rare the fighters who could pull that off, and it's usually going to be by accident. Um, that's in that's in the advanced section of my footwork book with like a cautionary note. What's the cautionary note? Like you know, this is advanced. Don't just <laughs> don't randomly try this. You know, if you like, this won't work for all fighters. Just drill. You know. Just drill it and see if it works for you in like a friendly sparring session. All right. So let's get into the Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder fight where a lot of people were going into it. Forget about who people thought were going to win. They, a lot of people were like, this might be a boring fight where it ends really fast or it's just Tyson Fury just putting on a show. And it actually was all of it together. And it was actually quite exciting. It was like a Rocky movie. Like, that's the end of a Rocky movie. That is literally the end of a Rocky movie. Gets knocked down in the 12th, gets back up, and then goes to dominate. Like, I'm, I'm amazed he didn't shout someone's name at the end of it, you know? Who knows? Maybe he did, and they just cut it off. <laughs> he had no mic. He, he, yeah, he was, you know, he was, like, hyped up. He was, you know, he was really happy he made it through all that, so. Wilder had the funniest look. Because he was dancing like yeah. he normally does because he <laughs> thought this was it. And then you see him look out of the corner of his eye as Fury is getting up and he's just like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, that was He came insane. back from the dead. Well, because he's the biggest guy that Wilder's ever fought, he can take that kind of punishment, yeah. you know? Um, that, that's all, I think that's, that's what there was to it, is, is that he just was a big enough guy to be able to take that punishment. And he's been... He hasn't been hit often enough, you know? So his chin hasn't, not often enough. I'm sure he's happy he hasn't been hit that much. But his chin, his chin hasn't softened up. It hasn't been cracked, you know? I think he's been knocked down in, in one fight or so. So he, you know, as far as mileage goes, his body has very little mileage and he's huge. So he's maybe the one guy in the division who could have taken that shot and gotten back up. It's like reverse Creed. If you watch the first Creed movie, it's like if you reverse... Adonis Creed and Tony Ballou. I haven't seen. Fight. I haven't seen Creed. Really? Yeah. Well, spoiler alert. But yeah, Adonis loses in that fight. Yeah. But he yeah, gets knocked like almost the fuck out in the last round. But he gets up. It's like holy shit. How do he do that? Because even I think the actor who played him, Tony Ballou, his character Ricky Conlon, he jumped on the ropes. He was celebrating, and then Michael B. Jordan's character Adonis Creed, he got up. And like, How the hell did he get up? That's unrealistic but now i can't say that and i was like well tyson fury did it so oh so it literally is imitating one of the rocky franchises i I don't remember which movie it was but i think that was another rocky movie too it could have been all of them where he gets knocked down and (laughs) gets backed up yeah it's potentially every single rocky movie that happens so let's start from the end then uh and we'll break it down perfect place to start yes (laughs) what did you think about the decision because it went to a split draw uh i could 
the thing about all these split decisions is like I could I could always in most of the cases I could see one of the judges going withdraw just as a fluke. You know? Like, okay, I could maybe see how how statistically one of them might have thought it was a draw, but there's no way that it that uh that the judge could give the fight to Wilder, you know, and there's no way they could give it to him by that margin. How many rounds did that person give to Wilder? I, think it was I, like don't, one, I don't remember. 15, 111, I think. Oh, so it wasn't by one round. No, it was bad. It was some weird number. I was like, whoa, what if I was there watching? <laughs> it was a repeat of uh, of the Triple G Canelo fight. And it's weird because that this was in California. But the Triple G Canelo was in Vegas. I was like, Jesus Christ, this thing, this shitty boxing judging crosses state lines. It has no end. They, they have a draw problem, like drawing audiences and draws as decisions. And that's messing up the draw. But what is going on with the... What conclusion can that? we draw from this? Uh, <laughs> they have a... Yeah, well, I mean, it's boxing. I wasn't surprised um you i wa- no i watched it with a couple of friends and my wife in a bar and everyone was losing their shit and i was just happy i was kind of expecting it th- by this point so i was like i mean i wasn't expecting it it wasn't in the forefront of my mind but i wasn't surprised and i was just happy the fight was so good and that's what i tried to like people will forget it the reason it keeps happening is because the rematch will make more money if it happens uh, okay. and uh you know that people will forget about it and then pay more money to see the second fight so you're just used to crummy decisions. I mean, in boxing. it's just gonna ha- like you know. At some point, you can't be angry at everything, you know. Let me rephrase that. If you can do something about it, then get super pissed off and do something. But if you can't, then like man, everyone was so angry, and I'm just like, this was one of the greatest fights I've ever seen, and I got to see it live. And the heavyweight division's back. Like how long? It, like heavyweight division's super exciting because. It's such a high rate of uh, knockouts, you know, like these guys can knock people out so easily. And then you have guys who could move like, you know, heavyweight division can be very boring because even though the guys are big, a lot of them will just clinch or get super gassed. And it's like you have athletic heavyweights that can move. When was the last time this happened? Well, you needed the Klitschko's to get out of there to make yeah. it exciting again. Yeah. And pe- people are, you know, people shit on them a lot. But, you know, they, they were talented fighters. They were. Like if they had some better opposition beforehand, then it wouldn't have been a big deal. But it was a big deal because they dominated for so long with the boring style. I was also surprised that even here in the U.S., Fury was more famous than Wilder. We had this crazy yeah. American champion who was knocking people out, and he wasn't that well-known. That is pretty interesting. I, I think that's just bad. Whoever's in charge of his press, you know, maybe change that guy. Because he's not... He's not unlikable. Um, he'll say some controversial things, but I think they're kind of tongue in cheek. Like when he keeps saying, "I, you know, I want a body on my whatever," it's like, "Whoa, that's messed up." And then he always goes back to like, "I mean, you know, that's not me saying that. That's the bronze bomber." Or, you know, and it's like, okay, he's trying to intimidate his opponents. But besides a couple things like that, he's very likable, um, super athletic, uh, super outgoing. You think he'd be more popular? I it's think it strange. has to do with how social media has changed fighting. So even if we look at the old-time fighters, if they were around today, like Joe Lewis, I can imagine him being very introverted and not going on Twitter. Oh, yeah, Whereas of Fury's on Twitter all the time. Well, I don't know about now, but he was. Yeah. And that's what really made him famous was all the crazy stuff he was saying on Twitter. Yeah, people would have been bored to hell with, with Lewis, I think. <laughs> yeah. So that's another change to fighting is 
Twitter and social media, you have to be a social media star. You have to be a promoter. Like, but Muhammad Ali would have been amazing with social been, media. Could you imagine? Bigger. Yeah, it would have been even bigger, um, even faster, you know? Uh, but then again, there might have been like a, like a bunch of scandals or something, you know? Um, I was watching a documentary with his daughter. I don't know why his daughter was telling the story, but like it was a daughter and then the documentary was telling the story. After he won a fight, he'd have a hotel room and the entire like first floor of the hotel room was just women who wanted to fuck him in different rooms. And he'd go from like room to room to room. For some reason, they asked his daughter about this, one of his daughters. And she's like, oh yeah, you know, he was a young guy in the old days or whatever. But it's like stuff like that might've come out, you know, and people wouldn't have been like too happy about it. Like, I don't give a fuck, but I'm sure people might've. It's double-edged. It's a double-edged sword for sure. Yeah. Like you could, you could make a joke and then it ruins your entire career like forever, you know? Uh, it's cool because pieces of shit are getting exposed and they're, you know, being publicly shunned as they they should. But sometimes, you know, the person's not a piece of shit. They just made a, a stupid joke and then it's like the same exact thing. I don't think we've figured out how to handle it yet because it's a new kind of power. Um, yeah. It's something fighters need to be very careful of. So, but I think they will. You were saying with the decision, you thought Fury had won? Yeah. Well, Fury, Fury... If you go by, you know, your eyes, eyeballs, or punch stats, then he just landed more punches. Um, the main thing that he was doing, we'll start with footwork, because you guys uh, mentioned you, li- you like the footwork. So the first thing he does is he does, like, people get way too exaggerated with footwork and trying to, like, be fancy with it if they try to be fancy. Yeah. So you'll, you'll guy- see guys who are, like, their lateral movement is squaring up. And then, and then just like, you know, circling around the ring, which isn't getting them any points, which is, you know, you do that if you're trying to survive, if you just got rocked or something, but otherwise you're not able to get, to go in and actually like punch. So Fury will do tiny sidesteps and tiny L steps and that's it. So he'll adjust by like half a foot, but Wilder comes in from such a long range and that's part of his power. Uh, what gives him so much power is he's, he shuffles into his punches, you know, like Tyson used to. So Wilder comes in from such a long range that that whenever Fury saw him get set to throw, just adjust by like a couple inches, half a foot, you know, tiny step to the side, tiny step to the side. And that's all it took to offset him for absolutely rounds and, and stop him from, from trying um, to come in from such a long distance. He realized he had to stay closer and jab, you know. With Wilder, is there some method to his overall chaos or his sloppiness? It, that's that's kind of unfair to him. He has a really decent jab that he was using throughout the fight, um, pretty effectively to the body. Wasn't landing near as much as Fury. His thing is he clears the guard like Joe used, Lewis used to do. Okay. So he'll take his jab um, and pull down his opponent's lead hand. Uh, I, I don't know if you saw it. I did a video on, on that a while ago. Um, but it's the same thing Joe Lewis uh, used to do and and uh, he'd do it to block his opponent's rear hand which Wilder sometimes does too but like so he'll throw the jab it's the same thing we were talking about a while ago actually with turning your punch into your um, into grappling mm-hmm. in MMA so he'll throw the jab and then he'll, he'll use it to hook around your guard and pull it down and then he'll land the right hand mm-hmm. the problem with doing that with Fury is that he mostly uses head movement mm-hmm. and then the guard's just kind of supplemental so it doesn't matter if uh, you pull down his guard because his head's already gone but I, I need to watch the slow-mo again. I think he did that for the last, the last uh, knockdown. I think, he cleared it, I think he cleared his rear hand. I don't know if he even needed to, but, it, but he did. So 
Um, yeah, Wilder has much more technique than people give him credit for. It's just when he throws crazy, like it could look really bad. And he did like people will apologize for him too and be like, oh, it's only at the end of a fight that he goes crazy. It's like, no, sometimes in the middle of the fight, he'll straight up cross his legs. <laughs> and it's like, it's like if he gets hit during that part, he's going down no matter, you know, how bad he's, you know, hurt or not. It's just balance. I mean, he's really good with the one, two, like oh, yeah. really straight one, two. Yeah. But even in this fight, it just seemed like he would be so much more effective if he just had a better left hook. Well, he throws the left hook, but if it was just a little bit cleaner, it he, could he have scored been. some points with it. Yeah. And, and he got him. Uh, you know, I think he needs to focus on his strengths, but just set it up in more ways okay. than he does. So, like, he only throws the one-two or one-two-three or just a hook, maybe a jab hook. If he varied up his combinations and set them up differently, like, you know, feints would help, obviously. But just, like, uh, jab to the body, jab to the head, hook to the head, and then the right hand. Just, like, give him five combinations to set up his right hand with, uh. and he's already a million times better fighter. So um, it's just kind of weird to me that hasn't happened yet. Did he throw a lot of jabs to the body? He did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they didn't. A lot of them didn't land cleanly, but some of them did. And then he he, got, he scored some really good hooks to the body too, that you could tell kind of hurt Fury, but nowhere near at the consistency that Fury was constantly and consistently landing over and over and over again. You know. So I think Wilder did a very good job. He did what he needed to do. I think he just needs more ways to set up his weapon. Like, Conor McGregor has a million ways to set up his left hand, yes. right? You've seen him set it up a multitude of ways. Uh, Wilder has, like, one way, and that's it. So. Do you think it's one of those things where if it ain't broke, don't fix it? Where Wilder's been able yeah, to get away to with it, it? add to it. Yeah, don't try to fix it. Add to it. Exactly. So it's like, well, it's always worked, so why yeah, am I changing it. it now? Keep that thing that keeps knocking people out. Keep, you know, Don't alter it. Don't try to clean it up. Like, it works. He throws it really well straight, too. Yeah. Um, and that's when it hit Fury is when he threw it straight. So he ha already has a really good uh, rear straight. You know, he, he already has a really good one. Just give him more ways to set it up. He, the guy's smart and he's athletic. If you give him more ways to set it up, he can use it. Um, so I, I don't know why that's not being addressed. But his footwork looked better. And I, th I think he did a much better job. No, I just noticed it's one of those things like I mentioned where it's what he's currently doing has worked for so long. Yeah. He might just think, well, why should I add anything? It's always worked. Yeah, that's true. And then now he might go back and be like, you know what? I did go through probably the hardest fight I've ever had. Mm -hmm. What are some things I can add? But we'll yeah. see in his next fight out if he's made those adjustments or yeah. if he comes out the same version. We yep. talked the other day about Chuck Liddell and Tito. How Chuck oh God, beat him twice. And he's like, well, what should sad. I fix? I already won twice. And the next time I was like, oh, you didn't fix anything. <laughs> this is a problem. <laughs> you know your chin is bad. Are you going to at least come fighting now with a high guard? Something. Nope. Yeah. Nope, it's still has <laughs> down by his waist. Screw cross guard. Uh, screw high guard. Cross guard that shit. <laughs> <laughs> come out there with the double dab. Yeah, anything. Uh, I did notice, though, uh, watching a lot of previous Wilder fights, he did clean up a lot of stuff for this fight. Like, his footwork. It was so A lot better. better. Yeah. He was always... He had balance problems where you mentioned he would cross his legs, mm. but also constantly throw himself off balance. Yeah. You didn't see that as much. No. And also, even with that knockdown, actually two knockdowns in the fight, normally he's known for his power where he's hitting you at the end of his punches, but he was able to generate power this time around with short punches too. And even, Yeah. Yeah, he was. And actually, 
even though I was talking bad about his hook in this fight, he still was using that hook much better in previous fights. Yeah, yeah, it just for sure. wasn't like as good as his one two, mm-hmm. but it was competent. Yeah, it it absolutely it absolutely was. Uh, it, it, I just wish he had more ways to set up his his like if you have that powerful weapon, then just set everything up around it. Give yourself a chance to succeed because you really need that with Fury. Yeah. So I I don't think he needs to work on his game too much more. Um, I think he I think he just needs to supplement what he already has. Who do you think can improve more? Because we could see all these ways that Wilder can improve, right? Is there more that Fury can improve? I think definitely. Because because he kept using the same pattern over and over and over again. What was the pattern? Well, it it was a defensive pattern. Like Wilder would keep going jab cross and then sometimes lead hook. And then uh, so Fury would go catch the jab with the backhand and pull a little bit duck under the cross at the same time he'd step back into like a open more like a more neutral stance or almost southpaw and then he'd leave at an angle and then if a hook was thrown if wilder threw a hook then he'd write it back he just leaned back out of the way and he kept using that over and over and over again and it kept working but it, it you know it can't work forever because the the fighter he'll get like wilder just got better and better at tracking his head mm. he knew what he was gonna do he didn't vary it up at all um but I don't think he needs to nest like he could add another way to get out of that. Obviously, he was doing that. He was doing like, you know, leverage guard, which we were talking about before, but or just or just blocking sometimes. But I think what he needs to he needs to have an end plan. What do you so mean like, by that? Well, he's he's like a what I like to call like a movement fighter, right? If if a fighter's like super defensive like that, then they could only escape so much until they're tired. And uh, the other fighter starts to catch on. So if you look at, we'll look at two fighters, right? We'll look at Muhammad Ali and we'll look at Floyd Mayweather, like two of the greatest fighters that have ever lived. So Muhammad Ali, and they both do both these versions. It's just one did more than the other. So Muhammad Ali, you get to round eight. He, he, he cuts most of that shit out. His opponent's tired. One of his eyes is usually closed. He's been hitting him in the solar plexus. He goes in for the kill. He doesn't always knock him out. But he does go in for the kill. He starts adding these flurries, you know, bop, 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 bop. He makes his opponent raise his guard up and just breaks their will until um, the ref calls a stop or he knocks him out. In the early days, mostly knocks him out, you know. Or he'll start countering because he sees the guy slowed way the hell down because he's been beating on him. Like if you want to take away a guy's energy, then, uh, then, then hurt him, you know. That takes away their energy just as much as, as gassing him. So that's one way to do it is frustrate them, but also kind of beat them into submission and then ramp it up higher and higher intensity. Like I said, Mayweather did that sometimes too, obviously not as often during the end of his career. Um, And then you have the Mayweather method, which I think he should have done because Wilder didn't look really hurt or tired by the eighth. So by the eighth, I was just thinking, okay, now's where you clinch. Uh... You won your eight rounds, right? Um, Or I think... I think it was the eighth, the first knockdown, but I was thinking it at the beginning, the eighth. I was like, okay, you've won most of the rounds now. Now's where you start to clinch. You land your one, your land, land your jab, clinch, land your jab, clinch, land a, land a hard cross, and then clinch. And then just tie, you know, waste as much time being separated as humanly possible because you got the fight now. So, and, and that was the Mayweather method. Like I said, that's unfair to Mayweather a little bit, but near the end of his career, that was far more common than trying to finish it. Um, early career, he'd do the same thing that that uh, 
Ali did, which is he tried to go for the knockout. The, has Fury ever done that in fights, though, where he had a high clinch game, where he would constantly be looking for a clinch? His style's changed. You know what's interesting about Fury? He doesn't look like Fury until like his last five fights. So it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to to. So see. he's evolved as a. Fighter. Oh, he yeah he he's evolved a lot, but he's Fury's always had a, a lot of success from from clinch work though. Like at one point, he straight up turns his opponent's chin, and then like turns his opponent's chin and then knocks the guy out with like a short right. So I think he could have dominated at that range really really well, even set up punches from there. But he just wanted to stick with the same thing. And I, I think that's where, you know, his, his coach could have told him, okay, ramp it up now. Because uh, I like, I'm sure I'm going to get some shit for, for this one. But I think Wilder was hurt a couple times. Yeah. Because he, he backed up. He looked a little, his movement looked a little slowed down. Like, I don't know if he was trying to trap him or whatever, but I don't think so. I think he was, I think there were moments to capitalize on that weren't taken advantage of where there was a lot of unanswered shots and he was just shelling up in high guard. And I think if Fury had just kind of poured it on a little there, he could he could have potentially gotten a knockout, which is what Ali would have done, or he could have done what what Mayweather did. But I think one of the two, after you've won the fight, then secure the win. Don't give that guy a chance. Don't give Wilder a chance because he's gonna take it. For a boxing fight, I was surprised how little clinching was involved in this fight. Yeah, for sure. And it was amazing for the fans, but not too great for <laughs> not too great for Fury. You know. So what was effective for Fury in this fight? What was he winning with? Was it just a jab or he had other things to rack up the, the points? Definitely, definitely jab. Um, and he was setting up a counter right off of, um, off of when he was ducking out to a neutral stance. Um, he, he was setting up a, like a really good counter right. It was like short and tight, you know, um, like he didn't sink his weight into it or anything, or anything, but he had a lot of hip turn and just, you know, like a, a short jarring punch. Uh, that was, that was all good. Um, like Fury's main thing is is rhythm dis- disruption, you know, like broken rhythm. Like he can pick up tells so easily that it looks like a sixth sense, you know. He he sees when you're about to attack, when you're setting your weight a little bit, and then he'll faint right then. Or maybe he won't faint. Maybe it's a real punch. You don't know. And he's just so good at that broken rhythm. Yeah, notice he had that success against Klitschko. Yeah. That was one of those things like, holy shit, how is he able to do that? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just some people have that gift. They could just look at, at their opponent and see like the reaction time is so good. They've been doing it so long. They just see like a little slight twitch, you know? For a big guy, though, he doesn't hit nearly as hard as you think he would. Yeah, that's his stance. He can't generate power from that stance as uh, well? No, but, but he he, need, he wants mobility. Ah. So he's sacrificing setting his weight down to stay mobile, which goes back to Muhammad Ali again. When he was ready to take a guy out, he wasn't dancing. Ah. He set his weight down. He had a wide, long stance, and then he just went at him. Yeah, Ali did have a very narrow stance most yeah. of the fight. Yeah, most of the fight. And then when he got when he got the guy ready to go, you know, um, that's the stance you'd see him use on the punching bag. One of the things I noticed about Fury was in the way he punched, I wondered if he had broken his hands a lot in the past because I was watching the way he would throw his hooks or a lot of the punches other than you know, like his power rear hand. Most of the time, it looked like his gloves were kind of open, like he was kind of slapping him. Because yeah. if you look at the way he throws his hooks, it's not a tight hook where his wrist is locked out. Yeah. It's kind of, he flicks it. Like if you've ever done Kyokushin karate, you know, they do like body punches and they just flick their wrist because they're just going to hit you a bunch of times instead of like a boxing hook. Oh, really? They flick okay. their wrists. So 
So they flick their elbow and they flick their wrist, which isn't the best way to throw a punch. But it gets if, there fast. It gets there fast. Yeah. And you don't expend a lot of energy and you don't hurt your knuckles that bad. You're throwing it more like a whip. More, yeah, more like a palm hook. Yeah. Yeah. And I noticed that that's how he was doing it. And it reminded me of back in the day, like Joe Kazagi had to do that because his hands were so bad. Oh, gotcha. It might be that. It might just be a way to rack up points. Like, I think he's going for a very specific style. And I think he's emulating Muhammad Ali, obviously, to a great extent. Um, and, uh, and, and he's doing like the shoe shine. You know, the shoe shine hooks, um, where it's just like as fast as possible, not a lot of power behind it. Is that more for the judging? I think so. I, I, but more, it still hurts, you know, especially with someone that big. It's still, it's still going to hurt and it's still going to get the point and it's still going to get the opponent ticked off. You're going to hit and then you're going to get away. It's yeah. more about volume striking. Though. Yeah, it's more about volume. Like Sugar Ray Leonard would do that all the time too. Yeah, same exact thing. Well, you he were did that against Hagler. <laughs> yeah, and then that pissed people off because they're like, "Those aren't real punches." Yeah, it's like it still hurts if someone's throwing it that fast. It is like a whip, but you're right; it's not going to crack a rib. It'll still hurt, but it's not going to crack a rib. It could also be like that DS style volume striking, where you also never know which yeah. punch is going to be the hard one because yeah. when you see Nick Diaz versus Paul Daly. Daly, who's a more accomplished striker, had a hard time reading Diaz because it would go soft, hard, hard, soft, soft, yeah. hard, soft. And then Nate had success with Connor when he, Connor could just walk through certain shots that he thought weren't going to be that hard. And boom, he gets hit with the hard ones. I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I'm giving Tyson Fury too much credit. No, that's a good point because I think a couple of the times where, to your point, when Wilder did look hurt, it was kind of that broken rhythm thing that you were talking about where he was hitting him with that shine punch you were talking about, shine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden he came over. A real and, one. Yeah. And a real one. <laughs> and, and that you could tell that really surprised Wilder. And I think he caught him two or three times like that. Yeah, Lomachenko does that nowadays too. I think by far he's probably the guy who has the most amount of skill and the best amateur record outside of Rigondeau. And he beat yeah. Rigondeau. So. E- easily. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty... That was a pretty crazy fight, too. One of the things I want to ask you, David, so we saw how Fury and Wilder would play out. How do you think either guy matches up against Anthony Joshua? I have no idea. That's what makes it exciting. <laughs> I had no I couldn't say techniques or tactics that the guys are going to use, but I have no idea who's going to win. Uh, that's what made this fight so exciting. Because, you know, people would ask me that all the time, um, on my channel where I just get random people emailing me like a couple times a day now. Uh, and it's like they ask questions like that. And I'm just like, I have no idea at all because it could go either way easily, you know, uh, because he has the skills of kind of both those extremes combined. So Joshua does? Yeah, he's kind of like the, the um, he's right in the middle, you know. He has, he has very good, clean, basic boxing skills. He's not at the extreme end of boxing or the extreme end of power punching. I don't know. I think he could definitely take both of them out, but I think both of them could take him out too. Sorry to not give you any more specifics than that. <laughs> no, weird. no, that's fine. It's yeah. also very much like a rock, paper, scissor. Maybe one beats the other yeah. and the other beats the other and then they just don't have an yeah, answer. Yeah, and you, you could have an Ali Frazier Foreman scenario. Yeah, it's like one of those things where in MMA, it hasn't played out the way, but... At the bantamweight, it's TJ, Cody, and Dominic. They're yeah. all similar in size, similar in skill set. TJ has two wins over Cody. Dominic has a win over TJ, and Cody has a win 
over Dominic. So it's yeah. one of those things where we're like, well, if they kept fighting, how would that play out? Is it just you, one has you a stylus to put them in a ring together and just have them? <laughs> I feel, a, but if you did that, I feel like Cruz and, and TJ would just immediately tank, team up against Cody and then, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then fight each other. So, but but yeah, uh, that's why MMA math or boxing math, whatever you want to call it, doesn't work. And and you know, styles make fights and all that kind of you know, all those sayings are one hundred percent true. So for people who haven't seen the Fury versus Wilder fight, Fury just more volume. And should have won on points, but there was the two knockdowns by Wilder, right? Right. Now, with those knockdowns, did you think they were more opportunistic? Or he was seeing something and he was setting it up? Well, there was rarely a time when he wasn't close. That's what makes Fury so impressive, you know? Is that, like, uh, Wilder was usually only off by, like, a couple inches. You know, sometimes he missed bad, but not, not normally. And he was getting a little closer each time. People have a tendency to to idolize certain skill sets and not others. Like I said in one of my videos that Wilder has incredible accuracy and people didn't know what I meant by that. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? Like he throws wild and it's like, okay, try this. Have your buddy hold a bag up for you, hold a, a pad up for you, like uh, outside a punching range by like two or three steps where Wilder would be throwing from. And then have him move that up and down and in circles randomly and then try to step in and hit it. You know, it's like that's really, really hard. That's the same thing as as like an, an amazing quarterback, you know, throwing like right in the pocket and, and getting the guy. You know, it's uh, it's insane. He's able to do that. So Wilder just has through a lot of practice and athletic ability that that exact skill, you know, just that spatial uh, spatial, able to read the distance, spatial reasoning, or whatever you want to call it, uh, combined with that athletic ability. And, and like, it takes a lot of practice to do that too. People, but people don't see that. They just see like, oh, he just flung his hand and then hit him. Because the two times he did drop him wasn't with haymakers. Those are no, the two times where he looked the cleanest, like his technique looked the best. That's true. But one was from really far away when he got him with the right hand first. That was when Fury exited the same way he had a million times before. But then Wilder knew what he was going to do and then stepped in really, really freaking fast and took him by surprise. Watching it, I was like, how did they get so close? How did he end up right there, <laughs> like with his head right yeah. by his hand? Yeah. So you're saying he intercepted him because he knew that's how he's exiting. I think so. Yeah. When the guy like that's what I'm saying about he did it so many times. Like, like that's a great methodology, but you either need to ramp it up or then or then slow it down at the end of it. You know, you're like you're playing with fire. That, that's just my thing on it, too. That's the advice I would give him if I were his coach. You know, Was the second knockdown the same way? He was exiting the same way and then he got hit? I think that was the second knockdown because I think the first one, I haven't seen the fight since last night. I think the first one was he was up against the ropes oh, okay. and he'd been hit by like three hands, three right hands before that. Oh, and he okay. was backed up and then he got caught right behind the ear. That was him tracking his head because he'd just been doing that same move over and over again. It's interesting because when you said that he should change the way he exits, it reminded me of the last time Rigando got dropped. He was fighting a taller Japanese fighter. and Oh, that was a good fight. He exited the same way, and that's the only time he's ever been dropped. Mm. And it was because he was doing the same thing. It's like, eventually, I don't care what kind of pedigree you have, how fast you are. Mm -hmm. If you do the same thing over and over again, all I need to do is look for that even the slightest of tells, and then I could just catch you on your way out. Yeah. And yeah. then Lomachenko saw that. I was like, okay, you're really skilled, highly talented. 
but you're very by the book. That Cuban style of boxing where everything has to follow a certain pattern and rhythm.、Mm-hmm. So okay, I just need to disrupt that. Yeah,、and、that's what exa- he was able exactly. to do. Yeah, yeah. You're seeing really, really hyper intelligent people fighting right now, which makes it so much more fun. Yeah, and even his training is totally different. He'll use the Schultz table. He'll use reaction timing, where he has little different lights go off, and he tries to time it correctly. Yeah, I don't know how much all that helps, but you know, judging by results, if anything, it helps a whole lot. It's one of those things where, at the highest level, the little things—that one percent fraction of a difference—that can help you get there quicker, react a little bit off. Because a lot of times, when he slips and moves, he's still in front of you. And you miss, and you're like, "What? He's he's." I, I, It's because he's done it a thousand times over and over and over again. Yeah. If you're able to pull off something that people haven't seen before or haven't seen in years, like who might try to do stuff that Lomachenko does? Maybe a complete novice would they get away with it? Hell no, they'd get knocked out immediately. <laughs> But if you could pull off something that's not supposed to work effectively, then、uh, it'll take people a while to catch up. But you have to be really careful with that, like super careful. Because you could climb your way to a top of a division with、okay. that, right? If you if you do that same thing eight fights, like people aren't used to this style of fighting, you do that same thing eight fights, and then it, you knock out every single person. But then on the ninth fight, people have been watching your tapes for a while. They know exactly what you're going to do now. They figured it out. They've seen your whole game, and they they saw like three fights back when that guy did that thing that kind of worked or almost worked. And they, you know when you're the champ, all eyes are on you. So then they're going to figure you out. So you got to be a little bit careful of that.、Um, Actually, a lot of、uh, the top camps, as far as MMA, I don't know about boxing, but they've been reaching out to. I don't know if they reached out to you or not, or if anybody's reached out to you. No, but, they reached out to a couple of my friends though that also do it. So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah.、So、where camps will ask you to break down this champion or yeah. whoever. Yeah. And、uh, yeah, <laughs> to my, crack the code. Yeah, my I won't mention who you know who it was, but they got. They got asked for a very huge fight. I don't know how much they got paid or whatever, but、um, he was like super excited about it, and I'm like, awesome, yeah. And, and he put like hours into it,、uh, and he like by the end though he didn't know if the co- if like the head coach had even seen the work he'd put in. But、uh, yeah, I'd be thrilled to get an offer like that. That'd be pretty interesting. But I think that's just technology changing the game because I saw an interview with Israel Adesanya, and he said he had already heard that people were paying. YouTubers to break down some of his previous fights, so he said Ooh,、really? he knows he has to keep changing his patterns every couple of fights. Yep. So he was like saying,、know. "Look, I'll even explain it to you because I know you guys are breaking it down anyway." One of the things I do because I'm going to change it anyway. Yeah. But I think you have to be like kind of OCD like that now. That's got to be so frustrating though. If you spent years developing something, and then、uh, and then someone like figures it out just because of modern day technology, like you could that might also be a reason why、uh, fighters were able to fight so much more often. Like you know, back in the olden days, because no one knew what they were gonna do. There wasn't any、uh, film on them, you know. Yeah, but he's from the social media era, so yeah, he already knows how it so works. So everyone knows. But like Jack Dempsey, that had to be a surprise. You've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> You've never seen anyone like crouch down and bob and weave like that before, and then all of a sudden there's like a fist, and that's all you see is like a flash of red, and then you're down on the ground. You have no idea how it happened because it came out of your line of vision. Back then, you had to mail order books to know about techniques. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know you said some of your friends got contacted. I know Jack Slack made it publicly, like, "Oh, how do you make your money?" It's like, "Well, you know, I have a Patreon, I have the articles I get paid for, and there are certain camps that contact me to do breakdowns." I was like, "Oh, so you do get paid?" I think BJJ Scout too, right? They get、yeah. contacted. Do they really? 
think so. Oh yeah, because he did one where he broke down Sarah McMahon's style of guard work and how she never keeps herself on her toes. Mm-hmm. And then the coach said, "Yeah, you kind of don't do that. You probably should." And she's like, "God damn it!" Because you don't want to be told you're yeah. wrong by a bunch of YouTubers. And it's like, but if it's good information, it's good information. You know, yeah, exactly. who cares where it comes exactly. from? They should actually do it the other way. Instead of breaking down your opponent, you should hire somebody to break you down and find your own flaws and be like, "Oh, need, oh shit, I need to fix this." Shit. That's thinking outside the box. Yeah, that's that would that would be super smart too. Yeah, it's just finding ways. It's just finding like you know new ways to incorporate our our technology into into everything. It's like it's crazy. People don't realize we're living through a renaissance era right now with YouTube. Like you could look up how to do almost anything ever, and ha- and it's on film and it's step by step and it's super easy to understand. You know, like we don't really need colleges anymore. We don't. We do for a couple specifics. We need a couple specific industries need colleges, um, but. Everything I learned how to do in film school is online right now for free that I spent thousands of dollars. <laughs> I was going to say, are you trying to say film school was a waste? Um, I wouldn't know. I, I wouldn't call it a waste because I had amazing teachers and, and not everyone's so, so lucky. Um, I definitely wouldn't, if I had to do it over again, definitely wouldn't have spent that much money on it. Mm-hmm. But you know, tw- hindsight's twenty twenty. who knew that like five years later, everything I learned that was kind of kept behind a wall would be online to know for free, you know, and also super easy to do, like 10 times easier to do. Well, speaking of renaissances, are we seeing a little bit more influx of interesting fighters coming in or more interesting rivalries coming in that might, you know, excite us again? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's cyclical. It always happens. History always repeats itself. And, and boxing is such an entertaining sport that it's just always going to happen. I think MMA is helping it out big time. You know, people think that it's competing against it. There's yeah. no way. You catch a bug and then you look for other similar shit. I've never heard that argument before. I, I, I think it's just human nature. If you like something, you're going you're gonna, to like, get the capacity of that level of thing. It's like, you know, and then you're going to look for other things. MMA as a gateway drug. <laughs> it's like that yeah, yeah yeah it's like that netflix algorithm like because you watch so-and-so you might like this oh that thing used to be so bad it was hilarious <laughs> but yeah now, now it's good now yeah your point's totally valid nowadays because yeah if you keep watching more and more stuff on netflix they get a better sense of like what you watch a creepy sense of it yeah it's just like hey yeah i would like that thanks <laughs> i guess I'll, I'll keep watching and they'll ask you after like 11 hours like are you still watching yeah you should get like out they're judging you yeah it's yeah. like we recommend you getting some, you know. Yeah, go, go out, get a life. If you don't want to, we also recommend this product yeah, or this ex- program. Exactly. But yeah. I think boxing is going through a different model altogether as far as how they're showing fights. HBO is out of the boxing game. They're yeah. no longer going to broadcast yeah, it. Crazy. I don't know if Showtime is also on that same train of thought. But ESPN recently linked the deal in order to broadcast it and Lomachenko almost fights exclusively on ESPN and Canelo signed that huge deal with the zone for like 300 plus million dollars and I think Triple G is also in talks with that as well so the way you view boxing will change and I think the profit model is completely different from the UFC right now who's that one guy who works with Floyd Mayweather all the time he has a whole stable of boxers he was going to bring back like Friday Night Fights or... Oh, oh Al I, Heyman? I know who you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, Al Heyman. Al Heyman. What was it? Al Heyman. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Premier Boxing Championship. Yeah, PBC. 
where is that going to be inked with? So PBC has deals with NBC, with Fox. So their model is completely different. But they're trying to bring it back to regular TV again, right? Correct. So they buy airtime and then they're showing different fighters on public TV in order to raise awareness. Like back in the 80s. Correct. That's what he wants to bring it back to because he thought too many boxers are on that pay-per-view model and it's not enough for the regular Joe to catch when they're flipping through channels. They say, I have to order this fight. I'm not going to do it. You know what I'd love to see is maybe not with boxing because there's so many different promoters, but with MMA, I would love to see them copy the WWE model, which is, if you don't know how it works, you just get the, the WWE network. And you get all their TV shows that air yeah. on TV on there, and yeah. all their pay per views are also on there. So you just pay a flat like Netflix a, fee. Yeah, I would like a Netflix. I was just about to say, I'd like something that was like Netflix, but you pay a little bit extra for like huge events. I'd be fine with. So, like, you pay a, a decent amount or whatever to get all these free fights per month. And then instead of like $70 or something for pay per view, you pay 30 because you're already paying, you know, 10, 15 a month. That would be great for me. Or how about like even that. just like a flat 50 you pay every month and you just get everything the UFC does? Because that's basically what the WWE does. You get everything, all their pay-per-views, everything for one flat rate. Yeah, that sounds fair too. Like that'd be too much. That I wouldn't want to do that. I'd like who has time to watch that <laughs> that much MMA. <laughs> you but, but, if you have, but if you yeah. But if you do, then that's a good deal for it, for sure. Yeah. You say that, but you also realize there's people who buy Premier Access or NFL League Pass so they can watch all the games all the time. <laughs> so for people like that who are obsessed with fighting, all oh, that works. And then maybe there's tiers of, yeah. okay, here's a $50 a month, but you get access to pay-per-views. Here's a 30 You don't get all the pay-per-views, but you get our entire library. And then here's $15, which gets you, I don't know. I'm just throwing out ideas. Yeah. If I, like if I was that level of fan, I wouldn't honestly have time to do my channel because it just be I'd be just too it'd be too hard to keep up with everything. Mm-hmm. Like some people are super into their personal lives and they're watching like, you know, they they're watching like 3, 4, 5 hours of this of, of it a day. You still have to live your life. Is that what you're saying? You can't just you <laughs> can't be just on YouTube watching your channel and then just letting the YouTube algorithm keep showing you more and more things. Now we suggest you I this. definitely have days like that for damn sure. You know about martial arts culture. What's YouTube culture? Because you're a YouTuber. What, what are YouTube fans like? What are the people like? Because you were even saying on YouTube that people talk shit about JKD, yeah. which in the martial arts world even sounds odd. I work insanely hard to cultivate a like-minded audience to cultivate a quality audience. And I do that through being quality as much as I humanly can myself, which means I don't use a whole lot of clickbait. You don't get tempted to clickbait sometimes, like create a clickbait title or something? Well, it's very tempting because it's literally, I could be making three times as much. It's just that that video would suddenly plummet because this relevancy would be done. Mm -hmm. And then I'd go from having an amazing one month to to a bad next month. Because I didn't create something that was long-lasting in quality. I created something to hype something up or make people pissed off. So yeah, that'll get a lot of people to watch the video, but they won't stick around. They won't learn anything of value. Or if I give them something of value, but it's a clickbait title, they're not going to be happy anyways because they just wanted to consume some quick bullshit and feel angry really quick. You know, They wanted to rant. When I do a good job, the comments, I don't need to do anything with them. 
they, there are thoughtful there are some arguments but it's mostly thoughtful discussions you wouldn't even believe it's youtube you know they'll be <laughs> that's what i was gonna say they'll be YouTube like a is... random racist guy and then you hide that guy i have a tool where i could hide them from the channel forever which is oh. amazing because they're just yelling into a void and i like to imagine them <laughs> like spewing racist shit on every video afterwards, not knowing that no one's ever going to see it. That's like on Facebook has a high thing where if you have a page yeah. and yeah. they don't realize they're saying all this toxic stuff, but only they can see it. Yes. It's that exact same thing. And, uh, and they'll never know. And it, it makes me really happy to know that, that they'll never know. Um, they'll, they'll just keep spewing their hatred and they'll be, they'll, they'll spend their time on that. So they can't spew it at someone else. You know, they'll probably wonder why they're not getting anyone commenting after a little while, but then good. They'll, give up and go outside. Well, what are some of like the most annoying things that you constantly hear? Is there a certain question you always get asked? Like, would yeah. Aikido work in this? Or I don't know. I, yeah, I wouldn't most, even know. The most annoying one is that people think, and this is in great deal due to some, I'm not going to say their names, but there are some guys who claim to, to break down fights or break down fighters. And they've obviously never fought in their life because, and and they, they have a certain anime-like idea of how fights work and they pass it on to their their um subscribers i think and that idea is that they seem to think that you're thinking in between punches like in the time it it takes to throw one punch to another punch you're planning out what you're going to do next you're not having like a whole dragon ball monologue in there they think you're having an inner monologue in your head and uh, that's because some of these these guys who who claim to know what they're talking about and use the clickbait it's mainly the guys who use the super clickbaity stuff yeah. yeah they they talk about it like that and people who've never been in a fight or all you really need to do is spar to know that's not how it works like you could think up different strategies in between exchanges of course you can but and you could you could track your opponent's head movement you could you have reflexes you could respond but you're not having a whole three sentence conversation in your head and so a lot of people will um, will think it's like that, and they'll, they'll say things that kind of run along the same vein. Like they'll ask me questions, assuming that's how it works, or because they've heard that's how it works, they think I'm from another YouTuber or something, or I don't know how they got in their head. They'll think that's what I'm saying. It's like no, I'm saying this guy planned it out with his coach to do this specific move, and then drilled it thousands upon thousands of times, and now that's his reflex to when the guy throws a jab, he ducks under it. And then does this footwork pattern. I'm not saying he thinks it up on the spot or plans it out step by step, but that's what these people think. And so they're like, "This is bullshit." Every fight, and you know, no one thinks it out this much. It's um, like they seem to think there's no strategy involved in fighting. Uh... That's a big one, which is insane to me because you wouldn't think that about any other sport. Like, there's no strategy involved in football. They all just run as hard as they can, and the guy throws the ball. Like, you need to be an idiot. But for to think that, but for some reason, people think that way about fighting. Fighting is also the one thing that people think they have this elaborate idea of if I get in a fight, this is what I'm going to yeah. do. This guy is going to strike me at this way and then I'm going to move back and I'm going to counter. No, with you're going to so. flinch. You're going to close your eyes and maybe cover up and maybe turn away and flinch is your is the human reaction to having never been in a fight before it's that elaborate fantasy of oh in this scenario i this still is what have I would these do. elaborate fantasies <laughs> in my head i think it's just part of of being uh maybe a man i don't know if women get it too but it may it might just be part of being human you think about different dangerous situations and what a badass you'd be in them like i do this and this and this you know but uh you have to realize that 
at some point what's realistic and not like those are fun fantasies to have, but you have to know where it ends. It's, it's like I mentioned at the beginning, um, I fought, I fought a guy who was uh six, five and I know he was six, five because he was my college. Uh, he was on my college's basketball team and I looked up his stats <laughs> and even though I kept hitting him and I like bent him double, he, I could not knock him out. Because big guys are really fucking hard to knock out, especially if you're 150 pounds like I am. So that's another great thing about martial arts, though, is it lets you realize what's realistic in life, what you can potentially do and what you can't, you know? And, uh, and being in a real fight, not that anyone should go out looking for a real fight, lets you know what works and what doesn't pretty damn fast. And I realized certain things worked really, really well. And, uh, you know, and certain things really didn't like this one time I got a guy in a headlock, um, and I just wanted to choke him out. And then, but, but someone came like who was in no way part of the situation and pulled my arm off because it was okay for us to punch each other. But as soon as that happened, like people are very uncomfortable with that. They think the guy's going to die or like they've seen the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies where you could just snap their neck (laughs) or I don't know what's going to happen. So like, that's why that really in my head, I'm like, okay, grappling is great to get the person to the ground, but you probably want to get up because they might have friends or just a random fucking person could (laughs) intervene. My arm got pulled off and then guess what happened? The guy kept punching me. Even though people say there's no rules in a street fight, Mm -hmm. if there's a crowd, there is some kind of unwritten rule that they'll react to where, you know, there's all these world hip hop star videos. And then they're just fighting and then somebody does something and the crowd is like, that's not allowed. And then all of a sudden somebody will jump in and be like, no, you're not allowed to do that. They yeah. won't say that, but people yeah. will intervene based on what happens. Yeah, ex- exactly. And in some, some cases that's merciful and stops like, you know, some, some roided out guy from beating someone to death. So that's good. But in other instances, it's, it's like, you know, that's, that's why I say just don't get yourself tangled up. Just, you know, if you could take them to the ground, that's fucking awesome. But don't stay there because they could have friends or just random people or you don't know what the hell is going to happen. Yeah, there's no martial art that trains you for that unseen variable. Yeah. Like yeah. person comes with crowbar. Huh. Well, what are you going to do? There's what no gonna, martial yeah. art that disarms them unless Steven Seagal is teaching that out there somewhere. Oh, God. Yeah. He taught me my front kick, actually. <laughs> to that point, then, do you ever get like people who do think they have all the answers, like Mr. Expert, who tries to teach you in the comments, like, no, this is how it really happens. I know everything and um, I'm going to teach you oddly a thing enough, or two. Oddly enough, no. I really? get people saying I, I get people saying I have no idea what I'm talking about and I'm a fucking idiot and da 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 but they, they can never give a concrete example of how. Like, you have no idea what the fuck you're talking about and you should kill yourself. But there's never an analysis of why. Like, you should kill yourself because little knows to you that's not how you use that feint and you explained it wrong. There's never that. There's never that guy. See... As annoying as that is to you, so I was in high school when UFC 1 came out and in college when the later ones came out. In that era, it was all about Mr. I know what's really happening. And, you know, so, and they would try to teach everybody this is the secret technique to everything. So at least it's an evolution away from trying to teach everybody how you're Mr. Expert and you know everything to at least just telling other people, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. That's, yeah, I think that's least, still an improvement because you know? we have because we have a shit ton of proof now. You know, guys like Steven Seagal or whatever look look stupid because you could you could see what works and what doesn't work. There are certain YouTube channels, like I said, the like I like to think of them as pretend breakdown channels, 
and they do that bullshito kind of shit. Oh no. Yeah, and and some of, some of them are pretty popular. I don't. I won't mention any names, but they they, they like personally offend me <laughs> because they they attribute something that took a fighter so much, so many years of practice and skill to like a mental state or something, or like a mindset or um. Or just just something like that, or like one technique, like oh they work out their pinky, so because they work out their pinky, they have a strong whatever that. Because people want really quick solutions to things, and they want a secret that's going to be easy for them so to use themselves. Like, so it's almost like uh, martial arts inspiration porn, where it's like almost yeah. Well, I mean, with the pinky thing, that's more like bullshito, but it's more like yeah, it's this like guy's will. He wanted school. it so yeah. bad that he found the opportunity to yeah, catch it. Yeah, like a Rocky movie or something. But you know, which is good for fiction, but it's it's like it's like <laughs> it's like when you walked into you know there were so many shitty schools back in the day. I don't know if there still are, but I I tried out a lot of different schools, traditional or MMA or whatever the hell. Um, but. 10 years ago, there were a lot that showed techniques that would just never work in a million years. And um, like what? Like plant yourself and do like a 10 combo strike without moving, just relying on your speed. And then it's like you have to grab their wrist, twist it, push it in and then push it out. And it's like the guy's just standing there while this is happening. And you're just standing there while this is happening. And I feel like those YouTube channels are kind of the equivalent of, of that kind of stuff. It's like the MMA anti-vaxxers where they <laughs> yes. say there's a secret that they're not telling you, exactly. but we can expose it if you buy our ebook only for $59.99. Oh, but it's free if you join as a member and pay $29.99 every month. You took a risk with that joke because we just met David. So in LA, there was a 50% chance he could have gotten offended with that joke. I'm a gambler. What can I say? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, there, there is. I've taught martial arts and gymnastics like off and on. And sometimes I'll teach kids. And the weirdest thing is I wasn't this one little kid told me I said a bad word. I said something like, uh, I, I'm, I don't like uh, pizza or something. And she's like, you said a bad word. I'm like, what? She said, hate. Hmm. I said, hate's a bad word. She's like, you said it again. And I, I uh, asked one of the coaches and then they're like, oh, yeah, you can't say the word hate here. It's like a naughty word. Is it gymnastics school or what was this it? This was a gymnastics place. That, okay. Yeah, that I worked at like a once a week. Just like, you know, because it's fun to just teach little kids sometimes. Okay. Um, and uh, plus get to use the trampolines. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, so everyone's getting like hypersensitive to everything, which is good in some regards. It's like, you know, uh, you, you definitely shouldn't be saying some words there casually and this messed up. It was a part of our society for so long. At the same time, hate isn't one of those words, you know? Back in the old days, I used to be able to say hate at a gymnastics school. Yeah. It's like Jung, uh, Jung, uh, Jung's shadow, you know? Um, the part of yourself you don't want to see. And that could even be like a kind part of yourself that you see as weak. But, and you know, it's also like the part of you get, that gets envious and jealous and hateful and you lie to yourself about. Like, if you don't know that this, this bad shit's out in the world, then you're not going to be able to deal with it. I think that's what martial arts is so effective with um, and why it's so good for, for kids is you're learning when it's okay to use force, when it's not okay to use force and to think about why and how you should use it, if ever, you know? And I feel like that's kind of disappearing too from MMA culture, which I'd like to see. I'd like to see that be a bigger part of it, like it was with traditional martial arts too. 
Yeah. What, how do you see MMA culture? Because I grew up in traditional martial arts too, and then transitioned to MMA as soon as it was available. But I almost want to say it's a bit like Lord of the Flies where there was no culture or there was no philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just people making it up. It's being shaped right now. It's being shaped right now as it enters the mainstream. You know, like if you thought it was mainstream before, it's about to get really mainstream. Um, And it's just going to get more and more, I feel like. Like the question is, do you want fighters who represent like the ideals of traditional martial arts like GSP, say, um, or even Chuck Liddell, you know, as crazy as as all the stuff he got up to was he still always at least talked the talk and mostly walked the walk. Um, even if you saw his, his uh, after his last fight, he, he gave this like basically it was weird. He Basically, he was saying like he knew he knew he couldn't do it anymore is almost what he was saying, but like no one could tell him how to live his life and he decides what's best for him. And this is, you know, what it means to be a warrior, which like, I still don't think the fight should have been allowed. And I, it, you know, <laughs> it wasn't a good idea because he, he probably has a bunch of brain damage right now, but I respect his choice. You know, that's what he thinks the warrior mentality is. So I think philosophy needs to go with something like the point is to learn how to hurt people, it, whether it's to get away from someone or to feel safe or because you're doing it in a controlled environment. You're not really looking to hurt someone too bad, but it's just fun. You and your body buddy aren't giving each other brain damage. You know, you're, you're just going a little bit hard. Or if you want to, if you want to just beat up people at bars, that's up to you. So there should probably be some consideration towards what it's for and why it's for and some representation towards that. I don't feel like Conor and Khabib are good representatives at this point of that. That's true. You said it earlier, and I agree. Right now, as far as what's available, MMA is probably the best martial art to learn how to be violent and hurt somebody. Yeah. Now you just have that without any philosophy or ethics. Yeah. And that's really dangerous. It's super dangerous. And I think it's where some of the hate towards Bruce Lee is coming from. Mm. They they don't they think they look at it as corny, you know, the the be like what like Bruce Lee really was like one of the most peaceful guys in a time when there was like rampant racism against everyone, and he had, he like had every right to be angry when he comes into a country and gets treated like he gets treated. And he could have been so angry at the the majority population. He could have been so angry at white people. Instead, he says, there's one family, you know, everyone is the same family. We're all human beings. So that's a totally different philosophy than what you're seeing with uh, Connor insulting, you know, Islam or Khabib cornering his friend and smacking him. And, uh, you know, there's all this rampant bullshit that shouldn't be happening. Um because I think how people deal with violence is such a huge part of culture, you know, it, we need an outlet somehow, um, whether it's through sports or combat sports or what have you. Uh, we need to get that aggression out. So are we going to do it responsibly or are we going to have like thugs, gangsters, you know, people who want to pretend they're in the mafia or have mafia ties like leading that? It could become like boxing where boxing was even in the early, early sport days in England. It was still about sportsmanship. That was still a part of it. And if you follow it back to you know yeah. ancient Greece, it yeah. was a martial art. But now as martial art fighting, combat sports, MMA becomes a sport, maybe it'll lose a lot of that. Maybe it'll become like boxing where it's just... I think so. That's the sad part of it. The good part is we get to see what was bullshit. 
<laughs> we get to see what works and we get to see a bunch of creative ways to fight. But I think we are going to lose some of the phil- philosophy. Well, because a lot it. of the antics we see now is new in MMA. We hadn't seen that kind of people acting so crazy before, but that had already existed in boxing. It did. Yeah. Yeah. It like there were definitely times where it was more toned down or more toned up. There were times when like all the champions were pretty decent guys and respected each other. And there were times when like a lot of them were like, they did what outside of the ring, you know? Um, but you've, that's always definitely been a variable in boxing. And, uh, and martial arts was always kind of isolated from that because there weren't a whole lot of disciplines that encompassed all of martial arts. But now there is. This encompasses almost every kind of martial art that there is. So it's, it's going to be representative of the martial arts for a while. So this is a good way to close the show. How can people reach you? Uh, I'm at Twitter at uh, MMArtist1. And my YouTube channel is Modern, uh, The Modern Martial Artist. You could also go to ModernMartialArtist.com. Uh, I have two books out on Amazon. Uh, you can find it on my website too. But uh, they are Power of the Pros, which covers how the pros generate power and just physics and sports and uh, as it pertains to generating power and fighting in general. And Footwork Wins Fights, which is all about uh, different footwork patterns that occur throughout multiple fights and have been tried and, and true and tested and from simplistic footwork that is just the very basics all the way to like TJ Dillashaw and Dominic Cruz and uh, Roy Jones Jr., Muhammad Ali and, and Willie Pep. All right. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, guys. It was very fun. 